Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts may be an honor and a glory to you. Amen. So today we're going to break down the book of 2 Corinthians into three sections and read it as we go along. The first section is verses 1 through 5. Hear the word of the Lord. <clears throat> when I came to you, brothers and sisters, I did not come proclaiming the mystery of God to you in lofty words or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I came to you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. My speech and my proclamation were not with plausible words of wisdom, but with a demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might rest not on human wisdom, but on the power of God. So the first thing to take away from this for all of you who don't like public speaking is it seems Paul probably didn't feel any more comfortable than any other human standing in front of a crowd of strangers. But I think the most important thing to take away from verses 1 through 5 is Paul is pointing out to this church in Corinth that what you have to say is always a lot more important than how you say it. Just imagine if you would if a uh, doctor comes in and says, you have, I have, well yes, we did the test and it turns out that you, that I, we pay attention when someone is telling us something that's important, whether they say it eloquently or not. And Paul is making in this first part of this chapter, the argument, the Corinthians had paid attention to Paul because he was telling them something important, whether he told it to them well or not. <clears throat> Paul is also using the cultural connection of God and truth, spirit and truth, so that Paul can say when he preaches not with human power, in verse 5, so that your faith might rest not on human wisdom, but the power of God. Paul is pointing out the power of the truth. I'm reminded of the children's book, The Giving Tree, and the story in there of all the shoulda, coulda, wouldas that run away from the one little did. The Corinthians, for Paul's main point here, are called to be his witnesses. They've seen Paul. We know from other parts of the letter he's not physically very good looking. They've heard Paul preach. Apollos is famous for his preaching skills, one of the other um, early church leaders, apostles. But Paul, not so much. So Paul here opens this section with the basic point, if you have something important to say, people pay attention whether you say it well or not. And the Corinthians witness the importance of what Paul's saying because Paul obviously didn't say what he said well. He didn't say it with an attractive platform. He didn't wrap it up or stick a bow. So the Corinthians are called to witness. Paul said something important because it had proved important to the Corinthians. Moving on, verses 6 through 10. <clears throat> Yet among the mature we do speak wisdom, though it's not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age. We are doomed to perish. Who are doomed to perish? But we speak God's wisdom, secret and hidden, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. 
But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the human heart conceived, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. So last week we heard Paul, and it might have sounded like he was a little down on the idea of wisdom and esoteric thinking, but I tried to make sure we, we walked that Paul was making a line between human wisdom and God's wisdom. And Paul comes back to this contrast right here by pointing out that much of what passes for wisdom these days really isn't all that wise. But Paul is not saying that he rejects the idea of wisdom. In fact, he's talking that among the mature, he's preaching a wisdom greater than that of this age. And Paul kind of boils down all the wisdom of his age, our age, this age before the kingdom come, in the example of the leaders of the world crucifying Christ. And it shows folly on two different ways. First off, there's the argument that the rulers of the world can't recognize a Jesus. And there's no reason to think that if Jesus walked into our country, into our world, and started preaching, if he walked into our churches and started preaching, that we, without the help of the Spirit, would do any better than the religious leaders in Jesus' day. Those religious leaders that went against Jesus, those Pharisees who wanted religion to be so pure, they rejected him. Out of ignorance, they didn't realize who he was. So Paul makes his point that Verse 8, none of the rulers of this age understand, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So there's the first half of this, where out of ignorance, they chop off their nose despite their face. The people that use the wisdom of this world reject those things that lead to the very things they want. I think this harkens back to when the whole quarantine and the eating services started, and we preached about Genesis and the, and the fruit of the good of and the fruit of the tree of good and evil, where it was much more what I think is good for me or what I think is bad for me, and the fact that that never seems to work out for us. So on the first level, Paul showing out wisdom of this world failed to recognize Jesus and that he was good for them, and out of ignorance, they rejected the one guy who was in their corner. But there's a second way to take this passage that Paul's going to point to. Because there were also, instead of faithful, pious Israelites, there were evil, conquering Romans and Herod and all those wonderful folks that we like to refer to as the swamp it has ever been. And those people, they thought that they could eliminate Jesus. So the reading here in verse 8 takes a very different um, meaning. None of the rulers of the age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So those people who wanted to destroy Jesus, perhaps even seeing what he was, they thought it would stop him. So even if their wisdom was turned to evil and hurting other people, the wisdom of this age will kill him, no man, no problem, as Stalin said. They didn't realize that by crucifying Christ, they were aiding the cause of God's mercy and redemption. So far, if we take this whole chapter of Corinthians, the first part and the second part, we tie them together, 
things start to get interesting. First, truth is truth, and it has a power all of itself, regardless of who says it. We love TV shows out of the mouth of babes, where kids just say it straight without any of the way adults spin it. And Paul points out that as a preacher, it doesn't matter how well he says it, as long as the truth is in there, it's got power, and the Corinthians had seen it. But Paul also points out something that the Corinthians had also seen, that the church was witnessing to, and that was that political, worldly, political, human power and strength, we all know those often rely on something very different than truth and its own power as truth. Those tend to rely on lies, half-truths. As Paul would say, empty words of rhetoric, you have to sell the idea to the people. And in Paul's day especially, when rulers used ignorance of the masses to control them, we have this contrast. The church is preaching a gospel that holds the truth, and it doesn't even matter if it preaches it poorly, as long as the truth is in there, it's displaying its power, and the Corinthians had seen it. On the other hand, you have the power of the world, of the Caesars, of the religions of the world. They're always trying to keep the people in bondage and hold them down with half-truth and lies. And no matter how they spin it, though, those worldly powers can't deal with the truth. Back to the children's story of the coulda, shoulda, wouldas, they were all run from the one little did. So Paul gets to the point of his letter here. His main problems so far, we've seen in the last two weeks, are divisions and leadership struggles. And Paul is here taking aim at those that want leadership and to seem strong in the way the world does, by using half-truths, false doctrines, by using ideas of power or clout. We're going to see later on that even at the communion table, certain poor people weren't allowed to even eat the bread. But Paul is also pointing out that if these worldly powers fail to recognize Christ and truth has the power of God in and of himself, these leaders that are trying to use worldly ways of thinking are not going to have any power when it comes up against the truth. So we get to the third section, verses 10 through 15. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For what human being knows what is truly human and in their mind, except the human spirit that is within? So also no one comprehends what is truly God's mind, except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not from the spirit of the world, but the spirit that is from God, so that we may understand the gifts bestowed on us by God. And we speak of these things in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual things to those that are spiritual. Those who are unspiritual do not receive the gifts of God's spirit, for they are foolishness to them, and they are unable to understand them because such things are spiritually discerned. Those who are spiritual discern all things, and they themselves subject themselves to no one else's scrutiny. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. 
So that section's a little tightly packed. Um, if you're hearing it the first time, there's a bit of culture in here that I'm gonna have to parse real quick. So the, the first thing, I like the older translations on this one, up on verse, um, verse 11. What human being knows what is truly human except the human spirit that is within? The older translations read it, who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit, psyche, same word as we use, within them. So Paul switches from this idea of political cloak and daggers and big world happenings, the crucifying of Christ, Rome running the country. Paul switches from that to an individual experience. So what Paul is here saying is that we all have a true inner self that we all know. Who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit, the psyche within them? Sometimes in this age post-Freud, we wonder if we even really know ourselves that well. We tend to surprise ourselves. But it was a commonplace in the Greek culture that everybody had a secret inner being, and what you showed to the outside was only part of it. And anyone who's grown up past the age of five knows that what we say, what we do, the emotions we show to other people may or may not reflect the inner person and what's really going on inside. In fact, that's one of the hardest things about trust in relationships. We know what we're thinking, but there's no way to get into the mind of another person. But Paul is then going to continue. Verse 11 still, so also no one comprehends what is truly God's except the spirit of God. Paul says God is the same way. He has the mysterious outlook that no one who's connected to him, I mean, the creation can look at him, but you can't see him, you can't hear the theological boundaries to God. But then there's God's spirit, which like our psyche inside ourselves, knows everything about it, knows that deep inner being who he is. And Paul is saying throughout this section, that God's spirit, that inner self, is communicated to believers. We've not, verse 12, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit that is from God, so we may understand the gifts bestowed on us by God. So the key here, what's going on in this section, is God is 100% honest. God is speaking truth, just like Paul started this chapter. And, the, and we can trust God because he's not giving us an outward communication of himself, but it's the deep inner core being of who he is. And Paul is saying that when he preaches in the spirit, the reason the Corinthians pay attention and stand up and their ears tingle, regardless of how bad he looks or how bad he says it, is Paul and anyone who preaches the word and the gospel is communicating that very inner being of who God is to the people. And Paul is saying that that is a wonderful thing and that is the core of where the font of spiritual wisdom comes from, of the knowledge that they should be seeking in the church. And this gives us a, a bit of a contrast between what Paul sees going on in this church. There's, in these human interactions and these human ways of doing uh, political power and manipulation, the people are hidden from each other. They've got their inner selves and there's the outer mask. And they change the mask like actors 
in a Greek play. One day they're sad, the next day they're happy, and they do their different things to get what they want. First off, Christians shouldn't be hiding behind masks, and yet how often we do. But we're going to tie all three points of 1 Corinthians chapter 2 together. Those against the truth in the church of Corinth are what the kids would call fronting. They're putting up a false facade. And Paul is pointing out that anyone who builds a false facade, unless they're just completely oblivious, deep, deep down, knows that they've done it. And Paul is contrasting that with the way God is working in the church and wants the church to work. God is giving the true communication of himself and there is no facade. The grace that's offered in the gospel is 100% who God is and who he wants to communicate, a sure foundation. Paul is saying those with the truth don't need the props that these Corinthians are constantly going on about. And these props are the rhetoric, the deep thoughts. So if you don't have much to say, you wrap it up in pretty words. If you got something simple to say, you say it and people sit straight. There are the props of power. Rome had its swords. Sparta had its shields. There's these ways where if I can hurt you, then you have to say what I'm thinking is important. But someone with the truth doesn't have to use a threat or any vainglorious notions of such things. And Paul is pointing out that that is the contrast between the worldly wisdom, which with that mask loses sight of itself and can't find God, and that godly wisdom that is communicated 100% from God, says who God is, and rests as a sure foundation, even whether or not someone accepts it or not. And so he ends with this reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and I'll leave it here for a point of reflection. As we continue to move through this book, these things start to stack and build up as we read it deeply. So verse 3, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. And so, brothers and sisters, I could not speak to you as spiritual people, as people who have that deep inward connection of who God is, but rather as people of the flesh, those who rest on human wisdom and that human ability to put up fronts and all the power from that, as infants in Christ, as people not quite connected to what this truth means. They're still trying to pretty it up and tie bows on it and make it look like all the other truths they've ever known. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for solid food. Even now you are still not ready, for you are still of the flesh, for as long as there is jealousy and quarreling among you, that not knowing each other, that trying to read and play cloak and dagger behind the scenes, are you not of the flesh and behaving according to human inclinations? Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that truth is truth. And no matter how pretty the lies are, the truth wins out in the end. 
But we confess also that we've gotten so used to accepting lies and subterfuge and resting on the power of perhaps manipulating and using others, that it's very hard for us to separate how we have handled so many lies from how we should handle, value, and cherish the truth. Lord, we, we long to come to you as children, as those who speak the truth no matter what, and yet the thought scares us and we feel limited. Lord, we confess in some ways, indeed, we are still children, eating milk and not solid food. Lord, we pray through the continued reading of this letter, the continued work of your Holy Spirit. You may grow this church from infancy to adulthood, so that that truth, that spirit, that deep inner sense of who you are, the knowledge of you, may come to dwell richly in each and every one of your disciples here. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to join me for our final hymn for today. <laughs>